Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Ann Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, Light, we are joined by Nicole Zayden, Assistant Director of Emerging Educational Technology and Learning Space Design at Fordham University, who shares her thoughts about the intersections of innovation, technology, teaching, and learning. So our guest today is Nicole Zayden. She is the Assistant Director of Emerging Educational Technologies and Learning Space Design here at Fordham University. And we're so happy to talk to Nicole. Nicole was an absolute ace in helping us with the syllabus workshop in May. And this light center is absolutely gorgeous. It's the been a dream of our colleagues in instructional technology and most particularly of our colleague Fleur Eschke who's been wanting to have a makerspace at Fordham for so many years. It's finally come to fruition, and we're here to talk with Nicole about the Light Center and how it relates to educational innovation. So, Nicole, thank you so much for being here and being our guest on the Twice Over podcast. It's great to see you. Hi, Anne. It's great to see you, too. Thank you and Steve for inviting me here. Fleur has wanted to build this collaborative space with a makerspace for teaching, learning, and research using innovative technologies. Can you just walk us through, maybe give us a little oral tour? So if someone wants to see the Light Center, or if someone can't visit it but wants to be able to imagine it, how do you get there and what do you see when you first arrive? So as you mentioned, we are located in the lower level of the Walsh Family Library. And you walk in and we actually have a collaboration with the Client Services Department. So the IT Service Desk is sitting at the front desk of the Light Center. Walk a little further in, you'll notice a lot of collaborative areas, a lot of seating, tables, Google Jamboards, dry erase boards, and two new air acoustic pods. So they're more like- um, That's cool. It's very cool. They're they're Kona silence, they're, you know, (laughs) if you just want to pop in, have a meeting, we'll have TVs mounted in there for video conferencing, um, meeting rooms, or just, just stopping in as a study room or, or office hours if faculty need a place to sit with their students, come up with innovative ideas. So everything built in the collaborative space was meant to be conducive to coming up with innovative ideas to help you and support you with teaching and learning and research. You really notice that when you walk in, that the chairs are different, the colors are bright, there's a little table with four seats around it, and in the middle is a place to recharge your phone. Mm-hmm. There are couches, there are high tables, and then there are these little, the pods are these little like glass rooms within rooms that you can reserve and hang out in and have meetings in. And there, you don't hear other people when you're in those rooms. Are they pretty soundproof? They're not soundproof like this room with what we're podcasting from. Correct. It's it's not completely soundproof, but you have some sound suppression. Um, you oh, know, nice. With, with the safety and, and security aspect of things, we, we took a lot of things into consideration. Inclusivity, safety, security, accessibility when constructing the space. So in the AirPod acoustic rooms in particular, there are actual automated vents. So if the temperature gets too high, as soon as you walk in, the vents turn on, the lights turn on. When you walk out, everything closes and shuts down. That's so cool. It's very cool. So it's almost like it's preparing when you walk in for you to just start working. 
Okay, so I'm embarrassed to say that I've, I've used Google Jamboards. I've seen them, but I don't really know what they are. So what's a Google Jamboard? It just looks to me like a monitor that's mounted on the wall. So it, it's close. It's basically a, a digital whiteboard. So, or, or think of it as a giant iPad. Um, oh, that's a good description. And, and we have it mounted right in front of a round table, four-seated table, and you can use it. So one of the uses is if you have a study group or a group class project or faculty want to bring their class in, but let's say not everyone can attend in person. The great thing about Google Jamboard is being a Google school, you can actually use your Fordham Google account and access the Google Jamboard app and tie into it using Google Meet. So you can do all that right from the physical Jamboard in the Light Center. So you can use the, when I've used it in meetings, we've done things like brainstorming activities where everyone can write on a virtual post-it and put it on the Jamboard and then the chair of the meeting or the leader of the group can kind of start grouping ideas into various clusters and then you can start working on the various aspects of a larger project. That's a really fun application that I've made use of. So absolutely, that's great. Absolutely. So in addition to the meeting spaces and these pods, what else do we have in the Light Center? So working our way down, we also took, as I mentioned, you know, we wanted to be inclusive and be sure that we're including all sorts of technologies. So even computers, we do have high-end PCs and Macs in there because we know that there's also a programming, development, and coding aspect in using technology. So we wanted to provide high-end computers to be able to perform those things, to be able to do video and audio editing right from the light center. So right. almost like a one-stop shop for people to have all their needs met. So people are using software that they don't necessarily have on their home laptop or that they're doing a calculation that's too big for their home laptop to manage. The light center is a place where you could do that kind of work. Absolutely. Yep. So Great. You, you'll also notice TVs mounted everywhere in, in the light center. And what's great about that, you can... Because we can watch TV. You, <laughs> well, <laughs> not exactly, but you can definitely, you know, stream to these TVs to provide presentations. We recently had new faculty orientation hosted down here where they oh. gave a presentation. They provided us with their slides and, and we were able to display their slides throughout the entire light space and they give a presentation to the new faculty right here in the in the light space. So... So the TVs are meant to be collaborative as well and interactive. Not, and it's also meant for advertisement as well. So if you have things you'd like to display, you know, you could reach out to us. Um, oh, so if I have a slide advertising an upcoming event or a, a lecture or something that's happening in the Light Center, you could put it on the slideshow through on the TVs. Absolutely. S similarly, what we did with the syllabus retreat this summer with your right. event. Right. That was great. Yeah. That felt really welcoming. Every time you came in, it was like, welcome syllabus retreat participants. Yeah. And then in the back, that's where the really unusual equipment is. And that's where I see Nick Trizuli working. And Nick made... Me and Steve each the most beautiful, fun, cool, 3D printed name tag, which I adore. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that's in that back back in there? Thank you. Yes, that, that is our makerspace, and that is the fun room. That's, that's where a lot of the innovative ideas come in. And one of the things we took into consideration, right, when you think about innovation – 
that could be something new, but also something different. So we provided different technologies in that room from low tech to high tech. Okay. One of them being 3D printers. And this was definitely Nick's idea where he had developed as a promotional item, 3D printed nameplates for folks. So that, that was one idea, but we have also started projects with faculty and students. So for example, a chemistry student is working on repurposing a 3D printer to turn it into a three pump syst syringe system where we are helping her to print out pieces for her to build that three pump system. And this is part of her research project. Wow. So her methodology is to be able to print out the parts for for her research project. We're working with anthropology, printing artifacts, for example, like the cranium of an ape, you know, for... So you can pass around a skull that's not actually fragile or rare, but you can see the size of it. You can Ex compare it against a human skull. You can talk about it, and if it drops on the floor, we don't have a tragedy on our hands, exactly. right? It's a piece of plastic. So. Right. Printing might be a misnomer, right? It's more fabricating. When I hear the word printing, I'm thinking, why would you 3D print something? Like, what is that mm -hmm. doing? So when, when I'm hearing you describing this process, it's more the fabrication of objects, which is really interesting as juxtaposed with virtual reality, which is, which is object-free, right? Mm -hmm. There's no objects there. So it's a really interesting way to think about the various contexts of learning, physical types of learning through objects and in virtual spaces. So right. one of the things that's super cool about makerspaces is we talk in this moment about high-tech, high-touch, mm -hmm. right? And so the more advanced technology gets with something like virtual reality, the more we're also longing for things that we can touch, crafts. And so you even have a sewing machine in this space. Absolutely. So we've actually had students the past two weeks using that sewing machine and we, we hear sewing, I mean, how old is a sewing machine, right? In conjunction with that- Couple centuries. Right? right. So along with that sewing machine, and as I mentioned, you know, innovation is not just new, it's something different. But along with that sewing machine, we have a Cricut. So this one particular student will be able to use a Cricut. And if you've never heard of a Cricut, it's basically a heat press and cutting machine where, and, and a vinyl cutter where this one student is able to- cut out and press a star and be able to sew that star on the edge of their jeans that they're sewing for their project. Thinking about innovation, this idea of where do innovations come from, right? So it's, it's recontextualizing. So let's change the physical, the built environment of the space. Because I, I think about computer labs, right? The library is removing all of its computer labs and trying to reconceptualize those spaces because students have their own devices now, so you don't need to necessarily provide this, the devices. So if the spaces don't need devices, what do they need? So th I think that first idea of innovation as reconceptualization is, is really interesting. A lot of my own experience as a teacher is overcoming the space, right? How do I function effectively in the space that was built for me? Because sometimes the space doesn't offer affordances so much as impediments to what I'm trying to do. The other thing you, you said about recontextualization, right, taking in what we would think to be an older obsolete technology and putting it in a new space. And what are the collisions that occur in that new space? What becomes possible? And I think the sewing machine is a really interesting example of that. When we think about innovation, we always think about something new. 
rather than reconceptualizing or recontextualizing something we've done in the past. I love thinking about that, and I love thinking about that in terms of the cricket because I watch a lot of sewing TikToks, mm -hmm. and I see people making incredibly elaborate patterns, and then I realize they've got a computer-assisted vinyl cutting machine or fabric cutting machine in the Cricut mm -hmm. that's helping them do things that would have taken hours and hours and hours by scissor. That said, it's like your chemistry student with a three-pump experiment. A lot of the stuff that's automated, it is a project to program the computer to print the parts that are going to come together to make the pump. And can you talk a little bit about how you helped her get make sure that it worked, right? Because if the plunger piece doesn't fit precisely into the cylinder, it's not a pump, right? It's two pieces of plastic that don't belong together. That's a great point, Anne. And one of the things that we urge is the collaboration part first. So we meet with you. We, we ask you to email us, actually, and I should share that. So you can contact us at lite, L-I-T-E, at Fordham.edu. And we ask that you set up a consultation with us so we can go over your needs. And if you take this particular research project, we speak with the student to ask, what size do you need to scale that? We go over these things and we sit with you. We discuss how big this needs to be, what time you need this by going through to make sure that, one, we do print this at an appropriate scalable size for that project. And two, we get it to you in a timely fashion. There's an expectation met. 3D printing is not like printing in a regular printer. It's developing an object. How do you know it's going to work? Usually the, the student or faculty already knows what the file is. So for example, the anthropology professor had had taken the cranium from a particular website that was already 3D scanned. So they already have this developed. The file is already developed. It's just a matter of producing the object. Right. 3D printers, sewing machines, a cricket. Mm -hmm. We're here in a podcast studio, and you also have virtual reality here. So can you talk to us a little bit about the podcast studio, how that's being used besides for the production of the award-winning major national <laughs> podcast, the Twice Over podcast with Ann Bernold and Steve D'Agostino. Besides that, how's the podcast studio being used and how are we using virtual reality? If you were to exit the makerspace and then make your way around to the left side of the light center, that is where we have our virtual reality and recording rooms. And we can start with the recording rooms that we're in right now, and you'll see a painted green screen built into it, sound-suppressed panels to help with the acoustics, digital cameras. So if you were to do video interviews, you can do that here. Or if you'd like to just record yourself for your class, you can also do that right from these rooms. Oh, so if I wanted to make a lecture and have a virtual background behind me as a kind of substitute for some part of my class, I could come here and do that and get a high quality. Or a TikTok. Or a TikTok. There That's right, go. for all of my TikToks. That's right, yep. And and I have to thank my colleague, Nick Terzuli, who's also an audio engineer, and he helped with developing these recording rooms to make sure that the standard of the technology is up to par and and everything is, is working. I don't know if listeners at home can hear this, but the sound is incredible. And Steve and I had a preview of this room when we came in and months and months ago, and we're like, this is great, but there's a buzz. And there was just like a little like, 
And I was like, mm, that's not going to work. But it's gone. And it, the room is incredible. It's really, really exciting. Thank and you. it's kind of awesome to be able to be in a truly professional space. Thank yeah. you. And, and we're happy to have you and anyone else who wants to stop in and be able to use the rooms. Again, we ask you to reach out to us, make an appointment to use the rooms, light at Fordham.edu. And what's light stand for? Learning, innovation, technology, environment. And then virtual reality. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So our VR lab, it actually includes virtual and augmented reality. Can you help us understand the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. Absolutely. So virtual reality, you may have heard the metaverse or Oculus headsets where you're completely immersed in the headset experience. And that's being in the virtual world. Whereas augmented reality, you are in a virtual world, but you're also in the real world. So you you can you have a sense of not you're not completely immersed into that world. So you could still see around your your environment um, and still experience a virtual world. And I'll give you an example. So you may have heard of like Pokemon Go. That's an example of augmented reality. And to tie it into, you know, one of the projects that we're working with, we're working with Medieval Studies on an augmented reality project where they're working with students to develop an augmented reality mobile applications. And it's called the Medieval New York City Walking Tour, where you will be able to have a particular itinerary, for example, the cloisters, and hold your mobile phone up and point to a particular artifact or structure, and it will pop up with an image or a text or, a, or an audio file with information about that particular object. That's going to be so cool. Yeah, so we're excited about that project and excited for you know faculty and students to be able to use that. Are there any faculty working on virtual reality projects here in the Light Center? Absolutely. We actually have one on going on right now. So Professor Janet Galent is working with us to develop the project called A Theory of VR with her class. And what they've used is an application called Home After War. And it basically sets the student up to be able to experience what it was like in Fallujah, Iraq, after, the, after a war has occurred. So they're getting not only the experience of virtual reality, if they haven't had it before, but what it's like to wear the headset, what it's like to basically go through another country that they may not have an opportunity to visit understanding what people had experienced also the diversity and culture of that country and what people have experienced after the war after you know bombings occurred and I'm teaching a class on war and peace a senior seminar this semester so I'm thinking very much about that and Janet was a participant in the summer syllabus workshop yes, in summer syllabus retreat that was her first introduction to the light center and one of the things I remember so vividly from the syllabus retreat was another faculty member put headset on and came to me with tears in her eyes because she'd visited her hometown. That's right. And she hadn't been home to Italy, I think, for many, many years. And all of a sudden there she was and she could immediately see the application for another course in a completely different mm -hmm. discipline. When Janet is using this, can you do you know a little bit more about how she's assigning it or um, anything like that? I mean, so the students have the experience. That's cool. 
right? What's next? So as far as I know, we've set it up where students can access the headsets and the application either at the Lincoln Center or Rose Hill campuses. Um, we do have a, a smaller makerspace area with virtual reality in room 416 in Lowenstein down oh, the Lincoln excellent. Center. Oh, excellent. For so, those of us at Lincoln Center, that's great news. Yes, I yes. love hearing that. We do have a 3D printer down there too, but, but Janet's um, Professor Galenta has been using the virtual reality area down there with us. So students come in and we schedule a time for them to be able to use it for 30 minutes. And after they're, they're done and after they go through the full application, they write a paper about the theory of VR and the use of VR and their experience through that application called Home After War. It's really yeah. cool. I love that. It's it's fascinating to me. That's we, very, very exciting. We also have a, another instructor. We haven't started yet, but it's in visual arts down in Lincoln Center. And they're going to start with a project where the students actually walk throughout Lincoln Center. And it outside the virtual world. So they're actually physically walking around. They're going to observe, you know, Lincoln Center. And then they're going to schedule with us to be able to use the VR headsets and an application called VR Sketch, where they redesign Lincoln Center in a virtual world. So that that's an upcoming project that we have. People were making Minecraft campuses. This is making a VR version Vir of the campus. And so you could redesign how the plaza works or redesign how we're related to the Amsterdam housing project or whatever. Exactly. So that's so exciting. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Professor Galent is using Home After War as a, something that someone else has made. If I wanted to make virtual reality content for my students, do we have a way of doing that at this point? We've actually taken our 360 camera. So we have a 360 camera and one of our light tech assistants was able to take video and pictures of the university church, Martyrs Court, Eddie's Parade, and using an application, upload those to the VR headset. So if you can imagine coming onto campus, or if you've never come onto campus, like what that feels like to actually see what the church looks like, as if you're standing in the university church, or as if you're on Eddie's Parade. So we can help you develop things like that. You could do office tours, you know, you could do Lincoln Center tours. So we could work with you in developing things like that. Well, that's really fun. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of being able to do that and then add a layer onto it, right? I mean, thinking right. about once you've made the video to alter it to make it look older or newer <laughs> or different in some way and then have a VR tour of like Lincoln Center in the future. So when you think about emerging educational technologies, what are the things that you see out in the field that you're like, oh, that's next for us, or I can't wait for faculty to discover this thing that you can do with something we already have, or what are you excited about right now? Everybody has so many ideas out there. That's the one thing that we're learning from this is everybody has so many ideas, right? We, we want them to come to us with these ideas and provide that support. So that's why we, we say that this relates to teaching, learning, and research because we don't know everything that's out there. But if we can get the word out that we have this center and we have these technologies, and even if you come to us and we don't have it, it's something that we could 
discuss and see how we could provide that support. So, for example, the Medieval Studies Augmented Reality Tour, where we're working with a, a vendor to provide them the support to develop this mobile application. We want to work with you to find out what are those needs in the community. theme that the uh, President Tetlow has been speaking about, in, at least in the two or three times I've heard her speak, is innovation. And so to think about where maybe innovation isn't looking for the next thing, but really creating a space where people can come with their ideas. And that and people like you and Nick and, and others who work here are receptive to those ideas and then can connect faculty, instructors, students with tools or other people in the technology space that can help them realize those ideas into some tangible learning experience. So I have a like a double response to this. So I'm really excited about it. And I, what I think about is how important it is to be able to play. And part of what was fun, really fun about the summer syllabus retreat that Steve and I facilitated here in May, we were in the Light Center every afternoon. And we spent a lot of time just orienting people to what it was that existed here. We had you and Nick and some librarians and some other um, people from IT. Alan Cafferkey was here. Laura Eschke was here. Just showing people, well, here's something you could do. Here's how you could use VoiceThread. You know, you've heard of VoiceThread, but you've never played with it. Let's play with it. And you start playing with it. And sometimes it just delights you because it's neat. But in that delight, you suddenly get an idea. Or you realize that actually... Holding that scale model of something in your hands has taught you something. Oh, making a scale model of a building is not just fun. It actually could be valuable for my students in learning something about Gothic architecture or in learning something about how we engineer bridges and tunnels. I love what you're saying about remaining curious, and it feels very Jesuit appropriate, right? That what you're excited about is what the people bring into the space, not the next thing we're going to buy, right? But it's like, come on in and play. That's going to be fun. And in your delight, maybe you'll get curious and learn. And in getting curious and learn, you'll figure out an innovation that's going to be to the benefit of our students. Thank you so much for your time. This is absolutely terrific. And having this audio tour of the Light Center, I hope that it inspires people to come, to think about projects, to come play, to design new things. Before um, we say goodbye to you, I always ask people this question, which is tell us about a teacher who's mattered to you in your life. But tell us about someone who's taught you and why they have been important. So, Anne, I guess if I were to think back to, you know, grade school, the first time I had actually stepped into a computer lab in, you know, late 80s. And, <laughs> and you know, we I think we all recall what the graphics and the technology was oh, yeah. back then. Very sophisticated. And it has just, you know, stuck with me since then. And What did you love about that? I think I loved the fact that it was different and it was new and it made me think like, wow, like I don't have to use a pen and paper, although there's nothing wrong with pen and paper, but it was just something that made me think of like, 
ideas and allowed me to think outside the box rather than just sitting at a desk and using right well it's it's perfect that that's what you think of because look at where you are now I mean this is the space at Fordham that is the least like a traditional classroom and when you think back on what launched you on this career working in higher education you think to the first time someone led you into a different kind of space and you were like oh yeah I can learn here so that's great that's a really good answer thank you Thank you. Awesome. Nicole, it's always so fun to work with you. I love collaborating with you on committees, at the syllabus retreat, in the Light Center. And we're so thrilled to have this space and so happy to know that there are some availability of some of the coolest technologies down at Lincoln Center as well. That's really terrific to learn. And um, people can reach out to the Light Center, L-I-T-E, at Fordham.edu if they want to see it for themselves. And Nicole, thanks for being a guest on the Twice Over podcast. Thank you so much, Ann and Steve. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.